So the Bible reading comes from Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26, which in the Pew Bibles is on page 946. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the Spirit desires what is contrary to the, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Friends, uh, good morning. Uh, thanks for joining with us in worship this morning. And nice to have uh, many on live stream as well. Uh, we're glad you've joined us to worship and to hear God's word this morning. Let me ask you this question. What is the real proof of a deep work of God in your life? What is the real proof of a deep work of God in your life? And let me say in answer to that question right at the beginning, that the real proof is neither subjective emotional experiences, nor spectacular signs, but moral Christ-like qualities. The real proof that you're in Christ and that you are a genuine believer filled with the Holy Spirit is that you produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Friends, in week one of this series on the Holy Spirit, we addressed the promise of and baptism with the Holy Spirit. The promise that every believer at conversion would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It was, the Spirit is a once-for-all gift to all believers. In week two, we addressed the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We saw that we are commanded to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Once we've received the Spirit, we have to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. By that we meant that we are to submit to the control and influence of the Holy Spirit. Now let's put our lives under the control and surrender completely to God's Spirit to lead us to increase in holiness and to be powerfully effective in mission. In weeks three and four, we examined the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we saw that the importance of the gifts is that we use them for the common good and for the glory of God, not for self-exaltation, but for exalting God's great name. 
But today in their final talk, we think if we are being filled with the Holy Spirit, we're under the control of the Spirit, under His influence, then He is going to produce in us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We see that in Galatians chapter 5. Let's look at the fruit first up. And then we'll look at how, to produ- how the Spirit produces the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you take some time, we're going to take a, a few moments to look at these words. When you see this description, you ought to think Jesus Christ. The only person who has embodied uh, this fruit in its perfection is Christ. No man or woman has ever had all of these qualities perfectly. But let me suggest to you that as we live the Christian life, that we ought to seek to exhibit these characteristics in increasing measure. Firstly, love. Bible starts with love, right? That's a characteristic of God. God is love, the Bible tells us, and we are all to exhibit love, Christ-like love, a love that puts others first, a love which sacrifices, a love which is not dependent on the attractiveness of the other person, a love that is not determined by feelings or emotions. And all of the other virtues are going to flow out of love. It says, love, lay down your life for others, Jesus says. That's what, what it means to have love. And I love the passage in 1 Corinthians 13, and you'll be familiar with it. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. And often if... If I'm speaking at a wedding, I'll take those words love and I'll say to the couples, I said, let me suggest that, uh, that each of you needs to embody love and I throw one of their names in and you've probably seen this done before. So if I throw my name in here, <coughs> you can judge whether I love. Angie's patient. Angie's kind. Angie does not envy. He is not proud. Angie uh, he does not boast. He's not proud. Angie's not rude, he's not self-seeking, ever. <laughs> he's not easily angered, keeps not even at the soccer field, he, he keeps no record of wrongs. Angie does not delight in evil, he always rejoices in the truth. Angie always protects, always trusts, always hopes, notice the always words in there, always perseveres, Angie never fails. I don't know how well you do, but I don't want to... Don't, please don't judge me. <laughs> but you see, we have something to aim at in terms of love. But then we go to the words joy. One of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And let me say, when he says the fruit of the Spirit is joy, it doesn't mean human happiness. It's different between joy and happiness, although they can sort of overlap, Right? Because there are terrible things that happen in life and you cannot be happy at those things. But you see, the Bible says rejoice in the Lord, Philippians 4.4. And so you can rejoice in Christ, what you have in Christ, even when things are not going well around you. You know that you were 
headed for hell, but now you've been saved and set free by the cross of Christ and are heading for glory in heaven, you can rejoice in that. And yesterday I was listening to a short tape of a, of a woman who, who mentioned that she had lost two babies in the womb. And she said, I felt like I'm trying to get my head around life and how I should feel and what I should do as I trusted in Christ. And, and I said, I just felt like my body was, was death. But it was her knowledge of Christ that got her through. She said, I was able to rejoice in God and what he offered me. And I knew that God can work in all circumstances for the good of his people. And friends, uh, one, of the men, one of the men that I, I've seen this joy in most uh, passionately was a fellow, uh, an elder at the Springwood Baptist Church when I served there. And uh, he was such a gentleman. He is such, such a prayerful fellow. Uh, older, he was just, when you're around him, you felt like you're in the presence of holiness. Right? And he said to me once, uh, I said, how, how come you're still working in your 70s? He was a, uh, a builder, a carpenter, did exquisite work. And he was brought in for special work in homes. You know, it's not the ordinary carpentry work. I don't know how to define it. I'm not a builder type of person. I said, why are you still working in your 70s? He said, oh, a few years ago, it was quite wealthy and a company was doing quite well. He lost everything. The company collapsed. I said, how did you cope with that? He said, well, I have Jesus. He is Lord over all. I'm still working now, but it's drawn me closer to Christ. Through losing everything, I've drawn closer to Christ. I have greater joy in Christ. It took me deeper in prayer in Christ, deeper in joy in Christ, because I couldn't put my confidence in these things, but I found them in Christ. Amazing. Thirdly, peace. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. What are you like? Are you, are you anxious? Are you running everywhere crazily? Or do you have this peace that God brings because, you know, you have peace with God through faith in Jesus. And do you bring peace to your relationships? Sometimes someone will say to me, well, I've got a bad temper, I can't help it. Yes, you can. <laughs> you see, the Bible doesn't give us an excuse, oh, well, it's just the way I am. So no, you are new in Christ now. And God wants to do a work by his Holy Spirit to transform you, to be a peacemaker. Ask the hard question, in your family... Do you create harmony or division? I don't know if any husbands or wives are hitting each other now, elbowing each other. Do you bring divided people together? At work or at home, on a sporting field? And what do your children hear at home? Is there anger and shouting? Or is there love and peace in the home? I used to say to her, when I had younger kids, I said, do your friends like coming to your home or will will your children invite their friends over is it a safe place is it a loving place is it a place of welcome and of peace i remember years ago it was 2005 remember the cronulla riots terrible time in our nation but local christian pastors sat with the people to help bring peace that's the fruit of the holy spirit and then uh the old NIV used to say patience, 
The new one says forbearance. Another word for it is long-suffering. I love the word long-suffering. It points to the importance of patience with other people. Sometimes you have to bear with rudeness and unkindness from others. How do you handle those? The fruit of the Spirit is not to retaliate, but to bear with them, to suffer long-suffering. I like that. We all have to put up with people at times that are very, very annoying. I don't know about you and your family. My wife has to put up with me. She's been long-suffering for 30-something years. My children have had to long-suffer their father. And if you think you're that perfect parent, someone has probably had to suffer you as well. It may be that annoying Christian friend, that lazy work colleague, those ungrateful kids, that struggling spouse. Patience. It's beautiful when you have it. When you don't retaliate, you don't fight back, you endure. And then there's kindness because it's not enough simply to endure those who are unkind and lazy and, and, um, and hurt you, but there's kindness where you are called to clothe yourselves with kindness, to be kind to one another. John Stott says, kindness goes beyond the negative toleration of not wishing anybody any harm to the positive benevolence of wishing everybody well. Have you been kind to someone this morning? Have you been kind to someone this week? It sounds like a soft word, kindness, doesn't it? But I wonder whether you've been kind, you've done something nice to someone, sent them a note or an email to thank them, give them a bunch of flowers or send some chocolates, or maybe babysat their children so they could go out for once, or mowed someone's lawn because they didn't have time to mow their lawn, or maybe cooked them a meal, or visited them in, ho- in hospital or home, or, rung- or rang them because they needed a phone call. Have you been kind to someone? The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. And then goodness, and I think goodness is similar to kindness, but includes the holiday of generosity towards others. Do something positive, constructive. And then faithfulness. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness, that you're reliable as a Christian, that, that people, if you give your word, that you'll follow through. Right? And if someone says, yeah, no, I'll go to them because I'm going to ask them to pray. And I know if I ask them to pray, they're going to pray. They'll remember to pray. You ever said, I'll pray to, for someone? Yeah, I'll pray for you. Two weeks later, you realize you hadn't prayed. They've been through a situation. Faithfulness, solid, dependable. Then gentleness and meekness. Let me say, don't be deceived by that work word gentle or meek because you know what it means it means strength and energy under control it's not weak it's meek it's humble it's gentle it builds others up and finally he says self-control you have mastery over your tongue your thoughts your appetites and your passions the opposite of self-control is self-indulgence you do what you want. You fly off the handle. You give in to temptations. And I think in this context, self-control probably has a sexual connotation in Paul's writings. 
He may have that in mind because it says in verse 19, in contrast, the sins of sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery come from the flesh. He says, or from the sinful nature. Do you lose control? Or are you under control? No, I... uh, a few weeks ago, I, someone crashed into my car on a Friday night. It was 9 p.m. I just had a, been to a, a conference at, at Morling College. I then had a nice uh, Thai meal and a bit of ice cream afterwards. I was having a great night. Got into my car, driving along the road, um, straight along through a roundabout. A lady on the other side who was on the, the curb, so I decided she was going to turn right at the roundabout, but I'm in, in her way, right? We're going straight ahead. She bolted into me, smashed into me. I spun around. I stopped. I thought, now what do I do? And then she took off. She took off. So I can't put up with that. So I followed her. Up the screen, screaming up the street, up uh, in Macquarie Park. And then she did a turn around the roundabout. So I followed her around. Man, you could have had this on video. I wish I had a dash cam. And then she followed up, I'm I'm going to get her number plate. This is going to cost me $1,000 otherwise, right? And so I followed her up and she got stuck at the traffic lights. Hallelujah for traffic lights. No one's ever said that before, right? And so I got my camera out really nervous, quick, pull it off. Hopefully a policeman doesn't see me and give me a ticket. And I used my my phone, I got a number plate. And then then I followed her still because I wanted just to exchange details and she turned into Morling College and I know it was a dead end. And I went, oh, I know where she's going. And I stopped. I said, just stop, stop. I'm chasing her down. I'm not angry. I'm just chasing her down. I want her details. And she sees me. She bolts off again. So I just went to the police station instead with my number plate. Got her details. I was thinking about that. Was I under control there? Was I angry? I was a little bit frustrated. Because if you have to pay your own insurance, it's costly, right? What do you do in those situations like that? Police officer said, oh, do you want to uh, bring any charges? Are you just happy to, to get her details and put it through the insurance? No, I'm happy just to put it through insurance. I wasn't chasing it because I'm a madman. <laughs> I just wanted her number. Friends, we have the uh, portrait of Christ here. The ideal, the balanced Christian life. The spirit-filled Christian. But how do we get the fruit? Let me say, as point two, it's a supernatural work. It is a supernatural work. It says the Spirit grows the fruit in the people in in whom he feels. Right? If he feels us, he wants to produce those characteristics in us. And that's important. The Spirit does it. He gets the glory. And uh, if we didn't have the Holy Spirit, this is what life would look like. The acts of the flesh or the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, if you look at our society today, you see those characteristics, don't you? In so many places. Immorality, hatred, fights, broken families, people drunk on the streets, Envy, you want what others have. It says, without the Holy Spirit, that's how we naturally navigate. 
but the Holy Spirit will produce newness in us. Thirdly, then it is a natural growth under the right conditions. I want you to notice something. Notice that they are described as the Spirit's fruit. Okay, think about this for a moment. It's the Spirit's fruit. Given the right conditions, all fruit grows naturally. Okay? If the Spirit is in us and we are drawn close to him, we will naturally develop the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's why he says there, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other that you are not to do what, whatever you want. There's a real battle. Now, I've been battling this. So I became a Christian at the age of 15, so it's about 45, 46 years ago. Daily, it's a spiritual battle. The flesh wants one thing, the spirit wants another. It says, keep in mind, there is a battle taking place. It says, we must crucify the sinful nature in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Now, I don't think this is speaking about Christ's work on the cross, where by faith in Christ, we've been crucified with him. There's a sense in which we've been crucified with Christ, uh, and we're dead to our old way of life. But I think here it says, we who have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. It's a graphic description of repentance. It's saying, we've crucified it. It's dead. It's over. I no longer live like that. I live a new way now in the life of the spirits. I no longer live with selfishness and sin. I repudiate it. I put it to death. Okay, that's what happens to your conversion. You say, my old nature is dead. It's finished. I don't want to do what it says any longer. Well, I'm using this language. It is decisive. You have to be decisive to the old nature. And if we nail the sinful nature to the cross, we must leave it there to die. So Jesus said, take up your cross daily, right? There's a sense of which we've crucified the old nature, so it no longer controls us. It's dead. I don't want to follow the way of the, the sinful nature. I want to live a new way. And this sinful nature, let me describe how bad it is. It is so destructive and so evil that we are to take no pity on it. Friends, what I notice Christians today take pity on their sinful nature. Oh, well, it's just the way, oh, it's just that lust there, just this there, just something else there, selfishness there, pride there. I mean, it really doesn't matter that much. We treat it as if it doesn't matter. We have to be decisive in killing off the sinful nature, the flesh, putting to death those things that are against God's heart. Secondly, rejection of the old nature will be painful. The Bible says there are the fleeting pleasures of sin, Hebrews 11.25. You know why people sin? Because they're pleasurable. That's why they sin, because you like getting angry at someone who's taken you out. It's pleasurable. Or you like lusting after someone or after something, because it's pleasurable. You like spending all your money on yourself rather than giving to others, because it's pleasurable. That's why people sin. And we're called to give up a toxic relationship, to give up uh, retaliating when someone hurts us. And thirdly, rejection of the old nature must be decisive. Although it was a lingering death, if you were crucified up on a cross, kept this image that you die slowly, right? You don't die instantly. It's not like someone shoots you in the head and you're dead. 
you're crucified and slowly you die over a period of time. It's a lingering death, but it's a certain death. John Brown says, crucifixion produced death not suddenly but gradually. True Christians do not succeed in completely destroying it, that is the flesh, while here below, but they have fixed it to the cross and they are determined to keep it there till it expire. Your old nature, you put it on a cross, stay there until you die. I don't want you to have any more part in my life. Friends, if you want to exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit, then you've got to kill sin in your life. You've put it on the cross, keep it there. It wants to crawl off the cross and start to dominate your life again. John Stott says, we've declared war on it. We're not going to resume negotiations. We have settled the issue for good. We are not going to reopen it. We have sacrificed the flesh. We are not, never going to draw the nails. Take it seriously. And secondly, in a more positive sense, be led and walk with the Spirit. Verse 18 urges the believers to be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, to walk with the Spirit or to keep in step or keep in line with the Holy Spirit. And so God calls us, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit now, to go to the Word, to be inspired by the Word and by Christian community and fellowship, that we would walk according to his way. Kill the sin, walk this new life. But finally, when you start to get depressed, because you're not really where you want to be yet, is gradual maturity. Fruit needs time to grow. I'm not much of a gardener, but uh, we tried planting a lemon tree. And uh, we moved it from one part of the garden to another part of the garden because it was never doing any good. And finally, finally, it feels like forever it's taken, there was a lemon. And uh, I ran outside and I, I pulled it off and I ran inside. And I'm like, there's a lemon, honey. There's a lemon. She, she wasn't that excited. <laughs> But I've been watching this tree. Does it ever produce fruit? Will it ever bring any good? And finally, it produces the fruit. Friends, we are justified with God when we put our faith in. We're declared right. Then God starts his work of transformation. Slowly, bit by bit, to make us more like Jesus. John Todd says, the Holy Spirit implants the life in the soul instantaneously at the new birth. But it takes time, a long time, to produce a right Christian character. I remember a young woman who became a Christian when I was at Springwood Baptist Church. She had finally given her life to Christ. She came to me three months later. She said, Ange, I'm really struggling. I said, what are you struggling about? She said, I still sin. I said, yeah. I thought when I became a Christian, I would be perfect and I wouldn't sin any longer. I said, who told you that? <laughs> I said, well, when can I overcome sin? I'm struggling. I said, well, you draw closer to God. You get to know him better. And God will start transforming you from one degree of glory to another. But you're not perfected, I said, until you end up in heaven with Jesus. Then the sinful nature has gone away. Because during this life, there's the battle of the sinful nature and the spirit of God. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. Corinthians says, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. I love this, with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Isn't that good news? 
And friends, the older I am, the older I become, the more I should be like Jesus. But sometimes I realize, and maybe you've experienced this, you think, man, I was doing better as a Christian when I was in my 40s. I thought I'm meant to be now in my 60s, I'm meant to be more holy, more godly, and you think, well, I'm struggling with other temptations now. Satan has a way of always getting into your life to try to, to bring you down to lead you into sin rather than to holiness. And if you're younger than me, don't think, well, when you get to your age, it's all good, you're just holy all the time. No, it is a constant battle. I think a, a former principal of a Bible college said once when someone said, uh, um, I said, how do you overcome sin? He said, well, I, I don't trust myself. I wouldn't trust myself until, until I've been dead for three, uh, three days or something, he said. Because it's always like, there's always a temptation. There's always something around you. There's always something or someone. And you think you're doing well in your Christian walk. And then you come, you fall and you mess up. You think, how did I do that? It's gradual. Keep moving forward. And sometimes, let me just say as I conclude, and we go to the Lord's Supper, where is we find our only hope, Christ our Saviour. And sometimes God does a gradual work. Sometimes God does something immediate in your life. Changes you. Remember Josh McDowell uh, wrote in More Than a Carpenter, said when he came to faith, he said, my transformation was slow. Over six or 12 months, God made some major changes in my life. I had an issue of pride, anger, selfishness, and hatred. I hated my father. He was the town alcoholic. I hated him. He messed up my life. He destroyed my friendships. But as God started to work in my life, he said, he softened my heart. And one day I went and sat with my father and said, Dad, despite all you've done, I want to tell you I love you. And his father said, what do you mean you love me? This is six or eight months down the track. He said, I've met Christ and Christ has forgiven my sins and he started to change me in these areas. You know what his father said? He said, son, if someone can change your life, I'd like to get to know that person as well. And his father repented. He was an alcoholic. And he came to Christ because of the witness of his son that God would be doing his work over a number of months. And Josh says his dad never touched alcohol again. Instant transformation. God will do that sometimes. I know people who have spent all their time swearing and there's inappropriate language. They come to Christ and God cleans them up. And it, I don't know what it is for you, but sometimes you come to Christ as an area of your life and, and you just, God needs to deal with that quickly and immediately. Some other areas it takes a bit, a bit longer. God is in the area of transformation. He wants to produce in us the fruit of the Spirit that we would bring glory to his name. May God help us as we pursue him for that. God, we thank you that uh, you have placed your Holy Spirit in us to produce in us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we surrender to you and ask that you would do your work in us. You would help us to crucify the sinful nature with its desires, that you would help us to walk according to the Spirit, that we would be transformed men and women, who imitate Jesus and bring glory to him.
We pray in Christ's name. Amen.